Hello, everybody. It's the Pick 6 Podcast. Uh, this is not Will Brinson. It's Ryan Wilson from sunny upstate New York, where it is actually 70 degrees for the first time literally this calendar year. John Breach is from an underground bunker somewhere, and Sean Wagner McGuff, I feel like it's probably outside the walls of King's Landing, no doubt wondering where it all went wrong. Uh, hey, guys. Hey, Ryan. Where is Brinson? That, that's funny you ask. Before we, we get to that, let me tell you quickly what we're going to talk about today. First things first, the best remaining free agents and what is a dwindling class post-draft. Uh, Sean's favorite off-season topic that isn't Game, Game of Thrones related. The Bears kicking woes, Sean. Woo! And then finally, maybe we'll get to a little Game of Thrones action. And what, in my opinion, as an open-minded observer, was the worst episode in Game of Thrones history. But before we get to that... Will Brinson. I like, that, I like that you throw that in because you know I can't respond right now. I know, like, you know, that me. Now I'm going to be angry for the entire podcast. Good. I like I like angry Sean. But uh, Brinson is actually – you mentioned this on yesterday's podcast. He is at Disney World with his family. And I love that Brinson, who spends 95% of his waking life on Twitter, implored people not to come up to him and bother him if they see him at Disney World. I implore these very same people to go up to Brinson, get a selfie, send it to at Pod or send it to us on Twitter so we can verify it. Don't accost him don't uh, assault him but you know you can harass him from afar with uh with cell phone pictures leave his wife and kid out of it but i think he he deserves to be harangued as much as possible um have either of you guys been to disney i have been there once and i was a young child which makes me wonder what it'd be like to go there as an adult and i think that leads to my question of on a scale of one to Brinson snaps, takes three people hostage after finishing all the beer in his hotel. How do you think his vacation goes? Sean? I think he, I think it goes well, but I think he spends too much time tweeting about it and looks at his phone too much the entire time. Well, today's an indication. It's um, about two o'clock on, on Monday and Sean and Brinson and I are on a thread. Breach are not on a thread because you don't have an iPhone. That's literally the only reason. But he is Texted us probably – well, this morning I woke up to 76 texts, so that's not a joke because he and Sean were tweeting back and forth about the Game of Thrones episode, and I always – I don't read those. That episodes. was last night, though, for the, for the record. Well, starting at midnight or so. And then this morning, Brent was tweeting from the plane to, to down to Orlando. He's tweet, uh, or he's um, texted. He's texted since then. He's, he told me yesterday that he, they're not going to the park on, on their arrival day, which would be Monday, but they'll be there Tuesday through Friday. So, again, I implore people to – to take selfies to Brinson and send Not it. only, by the way, is Brinson texting us, he's texting us, and before we can reply, he's, like, doing the reaction to his text and laughing at his own text. Right. So, so he's clearly going to go terribly. And I would like to point out that we are all, three of us here, recording this podcast, which clearly means we are all strong believers in Bill Belichick's philosophy of no days off. Brinson just out prancing around in Florida on vacation Man, that guy just doesn't work, goes on vacation. We're all no days off. Well, he thinks it's Tom Brady uh, at the Kentucky yeah. Derby wearing the same outfit, but the difference is he doesn't have the production <laughs> of Tom Brady. He's more like Brian Hoyer, who, by the way, is at work today. He ain't at the Kentucky Derby with with Tom Brady. Um, all right, so let's see. Before we get started with the best remaining free agents, John, you wrote this weekend about the Cowboys supporting the Chiefs' overtime proposal. I, I can never get really worked up by overtime. But that is, uh, you know, clearly something that some owners are interested in. What do you think is going to happen at this upcoming owners get together in the spring here with the Cowboys, Chiefs, the overtime proposal? Why don't you tell us what it is? I think that they're eventually going to approve it. And a, this is the Chiefs. Obviously, everybody watched the AFC title game. The Chiefs did not get possession in overtime, and apparently that really bothered them. 
Uh, forget the fact that they couldn't stop Tom Brady at all during the Patriots' one offense possession and that the Patriots converted multiple third downs on the drive and that the Chiefs' defense tanked. The Chiefs do not care about that. The Chiefs want to know why the Chiefs' offense did not get the ball. So in March, they proposed a new overtime rule saying, hey, both teams need to get a possession in overtime, even if the first team scores a touchdown. They talked about that at the spring meeting in March. And the owners basically said, eh, I don't know if we're ready to do this. Let's table it. Let's put it. Let's talk about it in May. And here's what I've noticed over the past six years since I've been covering the NFL for CBS is that if the owners table something and then put it back on the table in May, it generally passes. We saw that with the extra point. That was a huge change. They weren't ready to do it in March. They, they tabled it for a little. They approved it in May on a one-year trial basis. And then now it's permanent now. So I do think that this is going to get approved, especially, uh, Wilson, you just mentioned the Cowboys being uh, basically supporting this. And, you know, once you have Jerry Jones support, he's a powerful guy in that owner's room. And, uh, you know, I don't know what you guys think, but I feel like this is going to go through for at least this year. I think like it goes. I, I don't care about it, but it, like it doesn't make sense. Like I'm with, I'm going to sound like Pete Prisco because I actually agree with him. His stance is your defense needs to be better if you can't win the coin toss. Sean, you're a millennial, just complaining about. Yeah, I just, I, well, I completely disagree with that, and I understand that point, and I think it was probably much more relevant back when you and Prisco were, were young. But I think we were now, too. the rules are so geared towards helping offenses that I like we're in an era of peak offensive football. If you look at like every statistic of throwing stats, right? Like now, nowadays, like an 85 passer rating is not good, but like 10 years ago, that was like a fine passer rating. And so I think the rules are so geared to helping offenses that it's no longer entirely fair to defenses. So I would just always be hate to be stuck as the team that has to get a stop before they can get the ball. Yeah, but it's them. it's a field goal, not a not a touchdown. That's the, sort of the middle ground. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a fan. Before this whole Chiefs thing, I always like the college overtime. Now, I don't think that fully works in the NFL because I think you can't start at the 25 because kickers are too good in the NFL and you, it would just keep going on forever because no one would miss. But I do like the idea of like matching score for score, starting with the ball at a certain yard line. Like so that, you like the, the XFL idea of two-point conversion? You, you do a two-point conversion, but at the same time, so both offenses, basically there's uh, 44 players on the field, one on one goal line, the other on the other goal line, and uh, you score, you're done. You know what, what else? I if you, uh, if both teams block the the kicks and they return it the other way. <laughs> Chaos. It's like the band is on the field, except like too many players. Um, speaking of the XFL, I when the XFL was around the first time, I remember they instead of having the coin toss, they would have two players race for the ball. Because I remember the first time they did it, someone like broke his collarbone and was out for the year. I would be much more inclined to like say keep the rules the same if it wasn't just a coin toss and something that was luck based if there was some skill based competition to see who got the ball first um i don't know if it's a 40 yard dash maybe some arm wrestling with the coaches or something a thumb war i think breach is trying to well yeah no i was saying sean i'm glad you brought that up because that's actually so the chiefs part of the chiefs proposal is that they want to dump the coin toss for overtime but not really because they want the Whoever wins the coin toss to start the game will also get to make the decision in overtime. That's part of the Chiefs' proposal. But I think that is also dumb because you're still going by a coin toss. You're going by a completely chance-based scenario to decide a skill-based game. So uh, here is my proposal because uh, you mentioned the XFL. They would race to see who got the ball first, so it did take some skill. 
my proposal to start overtime, this is how you would start overtime, is that the visiting team picks a field goal distance, so say 55 yards, and then the other coach gets to decide if his kicker is going to try it or the other team's going to try it. So there's only one kick, and then if your kicker makes it, you get to decide what you want to do. Yeah, so it's an auction. And in fact, um, Michael David Smith came up with that probably seven or eight years ago. No, no, there was a, that's that, that's to take possession of the ball. That's, that, so it's not the same thing. That's right. Yeah. So it's a creation of that. I like it. I'm actually on board with I, that. One thing I, before you, before you go on, Sean, I want to point out that you guys are dismissing the fact that a coin toss is, is chance. Bill Belichick would disagree, and some idiot wrote a story about how they never accept a coin toss. You are a coin toss truther. Um, my this isn't like this isn't obviously up for vote, so this won't happen this year. But the way I personally would fix overtime, I think for the regular season, I think you pretty much keep it the same because I don't. I think with player safety, you don't want guys playing that much longer. I would, if, to be frank, in the regular season, I would kill overtime and just have more ties. Um, I just don't think you should be playing after that sixty minutes, especially with teams on short weeks. My playoff proposal is, I think you should just play another full quarter or a ten minute quarter. And I don't think I don't I don't think football has ever been a game about who scores Welcome first. To soccer. Full, you know, it's about who is winning at the end of a set amount of time. So what I would do, and this also eliminates the coin toss, is I would just keep playing. So if it's tied at the end of overtime and a team has the ball on the forty yard line with third and six, I think you just you know switch sides of the field and then they have third and six with fifteen minutes left to go in overtime. I've never well, seen yeah, well, a passionate breach about sports as when you, he brought up that idea and it reminded you of soccer. Yeah, he's trying to turn this into a soccer podcast. So what happens if you're in overtime number eight during the NFC title game, Sean? How do you shut that it's not, down? It's just not gonna. Well, it's just not gonna go that long. Well, no, because soccer eventually has a cutoff. They go to shootouts. What okay, would football's then, cutoff? Then you do one, and then you do a, a field goal contest. Well, I, obviously, I'll vote for that. <laughs> I actually would be very down to see a field goal kicking contest and. You know what I mean? Like, make kickers more important again. Like, these guys should be valued. Well, that's sort of what John's getting at with the with the auction. I will say this. Coaches are so risk-averse. No one's ever going to say 55 yards, which you sort of threw out there. I'm guessing that was just sort of off the top of your head. I would guess, like, 42 yards would be the average starting point. Well, no, no, no. You only get – you only get. there's no auction. You pick one number. So the visiting team, if he says 42, the home team's going to say, yeah, our kicker's going to try that 42-yard because he's not going to miss. But you say, like, 52 – now the home team might want to, you know, if he's a, if it's Matt Nagy, he's not sending his kicker out to try 52 yard to determine whether or not he gets possession because he knows I he's going like, to miss. I feel like 52 yarder, 95 percent of coaches say no. I feel like 42. You have to have like Justin Tucker or someone like that. Right. Who's next after Justin Tucker on that list for 52 as the answer to, as yes the answer to? Man, that's that's rough. Exactly. I mean, kickers don't have right. There's, there's a couple you would consider. Like, you can consider like gold. Um, I mean, he's made 95% of his kicks the last three years. He's bald, though. Automatic disqualification. Who else? <laughs> uh, I don't even think you would do Vinatieri. Like, despite no. Vinatieri's, like, legendary status, like, if you look at his field goal percentage, Harrison Butker has been incredible the last two years. I think he's at, like, 95% as well or something All like right. that. And, and the record holder for uh, longest kick is Prater with the Lions. But he's not, like, he has, he's got a leg. He's not a lock, like, right. Yeah, he's kind of erratic at times. All right, since Brent, uh, Brenton's out of here, we'll continue the uh, special teams conversation. Let's talk about Sean's Bears. They brought in 455 kickers to try to replace Cody Parkey the other day. Cody Parkey. I feel like that's how you have to always say his name. They brought in eight guys, Sean. Matt Nagy yeah. did. They kicked from the 43, which is one yard higher than what I just suggested because that's where your guy 
honked a field goal in the playoffs last year. And out of those eight, do you know the story, Sean? Yeah, I actually ended up. I, I was the one that wrote it on Friday. Okay, so um, eight kickers were the tryout for forty-three yarders. How many? Yeah. Made? So it was that rookie mini camp, and so like you can bring in a lot of guys that aren't technically like signed to the team and have these big competitions. And so they had all eight kickers attempt one field goal from from forty-three yards out. And Matt Nagy was very clear. They know why we are kicking from this exact spot. Kickers went two of eight combined on those field. You're goals. horrible at math. You know what two of eight works out to percentage wise? Yes. It's one-fourth, which is 25%. <laughs> you got that look in your eyes. It was priceless, by the way. All right, well, when on. you said – when you brought up math, I was like, uh-oh. Um, but then you gave me uh, an easy one. Um, and it's it just – to me, it's like, look, one year after you give Cody Parker this big contract and you had to cut him, the solution isn't to bring in a bunch of no-name guys and hope one of them magically turns into your solution because it's one thing to make it at practice, which these guys can't even do. It's an entirely different thing, we you know, when they actually go to sold. They're not even taking a soldier field. And so I don't think any of these guys are the solution. I think if this incident or this, this competition has proven anything, it's that they really need to go and trade for Robbie Gold. And I know okay, the 49ers. Robbie Gold, he's gone. He's not coming back. Gold? Wait, Gold requested a trade, and he pretty much said, I want to go to Chicago because that's where his family is. The 49ers obviously have said they don't want to trade him. I can't imagine if you offer a decent pick for a kicker. A well, GM. that's what I was going to say, Sean. What is So if the Bears were to say, we'll give you a third-round pick, the 49ers would do it in a second. Yes. But would the Bears be that crazy? Yes. This is a g- general manager who had, like, four picks in this draft, and he traded up for a running back in the third round. Like, Ryan Pace – has over and over again with the Trubisky trade, and every year he's trading up with the Patriots, a team that is always smart and, you know, always getting more draft ammunition. Pace is always trading up, which shows that he doesn't really value this idea of you need to have as many picks as possible to give yourself the best chance of drafting good players. If he likes a guy, he has shown the willingness to just give up ammunition for it. And I think if you look at this Bears team and you, and you say they're, they're a playoff team and what's their one weakness, it's a kicking game and how their season ended last year. I would absolutely consider giving it up. That said, there are a couple guys in free agency, one in particular, Matt Bryant, I think, would just be a better, cheaper you know, replacement. Um, he might not be as good as gold. He's been indoors for the last however many and, years. And he's 42, and that's a little tough to ask somebody that old to kick outdoors. Right. No, I, I think that's a completely valid point. I think you'd have to go look at his stats in these outdoor games. Um, he's been very good. You know, with the Falcons, but most with half his games indoors. But, but he's like Janikowski, where he's so old, he literally injured himself kicking a football. It's not like Gold is, is young either. But I, I just think it makes too much sense. He's asking for a trade. I know the 49ers are saying they won't do it, but the 49ers have to say that to maintain as much leverage. And I think they would be crazy to turn down if you offer like a fourth round pick. Sean, Here's- how far away from you, from the Bears calling you for a kicking tryout? <laughs> Pretty close. The funny, yeah, I, I've actually, I'm, I've in my in my past, I've been able to make in the forty to forty five range without a line there. Um, That's not funny. Me, I think I would probably choke. I was terrible at penalty kicks in soccer. I think I'd probably choke on field goals too. By the way, one of the guys that didn't get cut uh, in that in that uh, eight man competition, and I hope this guy makes the team. His name's literally Chris Blewett. So here's the Chris Blewett making the team. He beat out. So far, six other and, and let me throw out one more kicking nugget. Another guy that's still on the roster survived this tryout was Casey Bednarski. He's actually one of these rookie kickers that I had heard of before. All of this hell broke loose at Bears uh, rookie camp with, as Ryan said, 4,000 kickers. So Bednarski 
was a pizza a pizza guy after high school. He's like just making pizzas. You know the Pop John's commercial just flipping pizzas up in the air. That's what he was doing because he couldn't find any place to play. I, I think he went to community college or a JUCO for two years because that's all he could get. And then some D2 school called him. He went to this D2 school, hit a 63-yard field goal back in September, tore it up, had great stats. So, you know, this guy four years ago was making pizzas. Now he's trying out for the Bears. I feel like that's the kind of uh, personality you're going to need to – handle Chicago is like, dude, I was a pizza guy four years ago. I don't care if I don't make the team, but I'm going to make the team. So I think of the three guys left on the roster, Blewett, Bednarski, and they kept one other Elliot guy Fry. from Elliot Fry. I'm going to make Bednarski the odds-on favorite of those three. But as Sean said, probably going out and signing a free agent would be the best move. The the One last note on this. the Maybe the only good thing this like that will come of the situation is that Matt Nagy will become the first coach to stop kicking extra points and just go for two all the time. And maybe this is what's going to move football completely forward into like the modern 21st analytics driven century. Maybe it's just going to be because the bears just have no faith in their, their kicker making anything beyond 20 yards. Well, well one more thing about Bednarski, sorry, Ryan, is that he went to college in Minnesota. So he's used to kicking in that climate, which is a huge plus when you're talking about place kicking. You knowing this much about this random kicker that me and Wilson have not guy, heard man, of before guy. is just the most breach thing ever. This is very on brand. Yeah, it very much is. Also, I love that Sean thinks that Nagy's going to be uh, at the cutting edge of analytics with a quarterback who's basically the Bednarski of quarterbacks. All right, we'll break down the best remaining free agents and potential landing spots. But first, a quick reminder, CBS Sports is your live streaming home for the PGA Championship on Saturday and Sunday. Next week, as Tiger looks to make it back-to-back major wins, it's must watch. Uh, it's a must-watch weekend from Bethpage Black. By the way, can either of you name the last time Tiger Woods had back-to-back major champion wins? I would throw out 2005 off the top of my head. I have no idea if that's right. Are you a golf guy, Sean? I'm not a golf guy, but I'm sure Breach is right around the range because I'm Breach aware. Is close. It's 2006. I was a huge golf guy until Tiger ran into a tree. And now I'm yeah, on. That's, that's not all he did. That was so, the beginning of the end. But he's so back. Brinson doesn't run into a tree on his vacation. Yeah. I hope. Let's hope Mickey Mouse takes Brinson out and it's on video. <laughs> all right. The best remaining free agents, our guy. Cody Benjamin wrote this up on Monday. Um, one of the things you'll notice is that a lot of these guys are old, 30 and north. Let's see. If there, is there anyone under the age of 30? I think Ziggy Ansah is 29, but he's battled injuries. He's still out there as an edge rusher. I suspect he'll come relatively cheap just because it's post-draft. Most rosters are set, um, and, and there's certainly um, a need for edge rushers, but he ain't going to get what he probably wanted two months ago. Cody has uh, Ziggy going to the Bills, which I think makes some sense. I don't know if you guys have that in front of you, but um, I've got it. Anything else they got there? What about Eric Berry to the Browns, John? What does that uh, What does that do for you? Does that wet your whistle? Well, I'll tell you, Wilson, I know you read my story last week of the five best landing spots for Eric Berry, and the Browns were absolutely on that list. I mean, you look at them, they traded away Trebill Preppers, so obviously we can agree they won the Odell Beckham trade, but they did leave themselves a slight hole at safety that needs to be filled. And I feel like Barry is, if you're talking about adding a free agent, that that is the best option. Now, we have seen that the Bears or the Browns have drafted a safety. They signed a free agent safety, I think Morgan Burnett, and, and they traded for a former chief safety who is not Eric Barry. I can't remember. Murray, I can't remember. Uh, oh, Eric Murray. 
Yeah, yeah. So that that trade was when uh, Emmanuel Agba got sent to Kansas City. That's who the Browns got back. So they've added a bunch of safeties this offseason, but I just don't think that any of them are necessarily the answer. So it, it feels like not a high-risk move. I think the one big question is what kind of money is Eric Berry demanding? I mean, you can't be demanding too much when you've only played three games in the past two seasons, but also he's Eric Berry, so maybe he is trying to get – in the $10 million range, I envision this ending up something like Richard Sherman did with the 49ers because he was coming off an Achilles injury after the 2017 season. Then we saw him negotiate his own contract last year, which was very incentive-laden. Uh, I think that's what Barry needs to do. That's what the Browns need to talk him into doing. Uh, and just to throw out the other four spots beside the Browns, the Redskins, the 49ers, the Colts, and the Cowboys were the other fits John, let me ask you, though, if you're Eric Berry's agent and and whoever you're talking to, you say, hey, Earl Thomas, who can't stay healthy, signed a four-year, $55 million deal with the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, if I'm Eric Berry's agent, that is absolutely what I have tattooed on my forehead walking into the room so that everybody knows where I'm coming from in negotiations. But then if I'm the general manager for the other team, I'm just like, here's a list of games that your client has played in for the last two seasons. So Earl Thomas, I feel like, is on the field a little bit more, obviously, dealt with that broken leg. But, man, I just don't know how Eric Berry can expect to get more than, say, $6 million a season, which I think is affordable for any of the teams we just mentioned. And yeah. last year, Honey Badger only signed one year $7 million for the Texans, and he was mostly healthy. Yeah, I feel like Barry's going to get that one-year incentive-laden deal to you know, prove that he can stay healthy. But I feel like I, I think Browns are the best spot, and they were also connected to we thought they might sign Earl Thomas. Um, briefly in free agency. So they've been connected to safeties for a while. If you look at, you know, best teams with the most cap space, the Browns are fifth there with 33 million. So it feels like if someone's going to overpay for that, uh, for a safety, they could afford to do it. And that doesn't mean they want to do it. That doesn't mean they want to commit a lot of money, um, to bury, have him get hurt and then have to cut him and eat a bunch of dead money. But the Browns can afford to slightly overpay for him and outbid any team that's interested. So, Sean, you hate the, the Packers because they regularly beat the crap out of your favorite team. Uh, Cody has Michael Crabtree perhaps going to as a good landing spot for Green Bay. I think that makes sense because he's basically a modified tight end at this point. He ain't beating anybody down the field. He can control the middle of the field and all that other stuff. How do you like Crabtree with Aaron Rodgers? As a Bears fan, I'm just shaking in my boots here thinking about Crabtree going to – no, I, I think it's fine. Like, he's he's a possession receiver. He's always kind of been a possession receiver. Um it probably makes sense. I mean, who? You're not no, I'm not, but I'm not worried about it. I, I just, Are you worried about the Packers overall? They've had a pretty good offseason. Actually, a really good offseason. I think it depends a lot on LaFleur, which I just don't think we can know, like how he and Rodgers are going to mesh together. And a lot of it depends it's on the defense. Be a million times better, though. A lot of it depends on the defense because they've just told clearly, you this be a million times better. Well, we thought that <laughs> last year because they've been drafting defensive backs. Like crazy, they went even more heavy on defense this offseason. They made that much more the priority than the offense. Um, you still got to – there's a difference between adding a bunch of talent on paper, though, and actually having that translate to success. John, I want to throw one in on Crabtree real quick. Oh, yeah. One possible team for Crabtree. I love that Ryan mentioned he's basically a modified tight end at this point because you know who loves to throw to tight ends, and you know who used to throw the ball to Crabtree? Joe Flacco. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Patriots. I was like, wait a second, Tom. Yeah, no, I was nodding, saying it was Patriots, and then he said, "Who used to throw the ball to Flacco?" I was like, "Nice curveball, John." There's your curveball. I was going to go Broncos, and then if uh, you know, if the Patriots were interested, obviously 
they make sense too. They'd be choice one A, but I think like the Broncos would make sense, and obviously the Patriots, like you guys just said. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Broncos got Noah Fant, who is completely different. He actually is probably much faster than Michael Crabtree at this point. But um, yeah, Joe Flacco loves tight ends probably more than Tom Brady. It actually looks like the Patriots are going against uh, going away from tight ends this year, which is like the most Belichick thing ever. Let's see what else we have on this list. Jay Ajayi to the to the Falcons makes some sense. Um, they lost uh, who they lose. They lost Tevin Coleman. They still have Devonta Freeman and Edo Smith, but they need some some depth there. Um, I like the uh, sorry, but I like the Sue to the the Colts. Like that to me screams like why hasn't this happened? Because yeah, it's actually sort of still- funny because Jerry Tillery who was drafted by the the Chargers. A lot of people liked him going to the Colts to play in that exact role, and we've seen. If we've learned anything, it's that Ndamukong Sue can be motivated if he's winning. And I feel like they have a good chance to win there as opposed to when he was in Miami and literally just mailing it in every day. Yeah, You know, it's crazy. It doesn't feel like the Colts have a lot of holes, but I feel like you could almost make an argument for any player we've just talked about going to Indy. They've got so much salary cap space. Obviously, Sue would be good. Ziggy Ansah would be decent. Uh, Jay Ajayi, you know, maybe he's not – they have Marlon Mack, so he doesn't have to go in and play every down. Uh, he could be a decent fit. You could even make an argument for Eric Berry. The Colts clearly want to have someone at safety who is not quite in gathers because they gra- drafted two safeties, and maybe Berry comes in for a year, mentors those two rookies they just drafted. Uh, so, it, I, like, really, the Colts could be a strong argument for any of these guys on the list, but I definitely like the saw thing you guys, just thing you guys just said. Well, look, the Colts gave um, Devin Funches like what, fourteen million or something, like. If they're willing to give Devin Punches $14 million, go give Sue a one-year deal that pays him what he wants to get paid for one year. It's a one-year commitment. He might not, like, as Ryan was saying, we didn't really notice him on the Rams until the playoffs started, really. But he was dominant in the playoffs. And the Colts seem like a team that's going to be playing meaningful games in, in December and January. Why wouldn't you want to? That seems like a perfect team in win-now mode with a lot of cap space. Clearly willing to throw overpay some players on one-year on one-year deals. Why not go do that? I feel like the Colts could be a sneaky Super Bowl favorite yeah. for the AFC. Don't tell Brinson. He'll steal it, and I'll be a Super Bowl pick. Brinson's back on the Chargers. Brinson is back on the Chargers, but... And so, so he listens to his podcast. Uh, it's basically the Patriots, the Chiefs, and the Chargers. I don't think anyone in the AFC North is better than the Colts right now. Do you? No. No. I'd, yeah. I'd say but they're I mean, top three. It's also... Seis de Mayo, so a lot can change. And I want to make Seis de Mayo a big thing, by the way. So. <laughs> I don't know how I feel. Except about that. The, the people listening to this, it is Siete de Mayo. <laughs> make <laughs> that clarification. Big, make that a big thing, too. Uh, all right, so those are some of the free agents to watch out for that could sign in the coming weeks and maybe even months. I mean, there's really no hurry at this point because the rosters are pretty much set. There's a couple of big names. I mentioned Barry. Um. Cody has Derek Morgan, the edge rusher from the Titans, maybe going to the Steelers. That actually makes some sense. They didn't draft one. They, they don't have much depth behind Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt. But, um, yeah, some things to look out for. Quickly, uh, before we move on, I wanted to mention, John, do you know Jason Myers? Uh, the rookie kicker that used to play for the Jets, and then they let him go even though he made the Pro Bowl? No, I've never heard of him. A simple yes would have worked for each. That was my that was my Ace Ventura answer. <laughs> That's your Sean talking about Game of Thrones answer. Well, yes. I was writing about the uh, the Seahawks on Monday about a couple things they could do to actually go from playoff team to Super Bowl team, and I was like, well, they need to upgrade the kicking position because Janikowski retired, and they signed Jason Myers. And my question was, why in God's name would the Jets let Jason Myers go? 
Um, we we just talked about the Bears. They learned, and the Steelers for that matter, they learned very quickly how important it is to have a kicker. So they signed Jason Myers, and you can actually talk to this, John, because kickers are fluky, fluky and flaky. So they signed, uh, the Seahawks did, Jason Myers, a four-year, $15 million deal, whereas your Jets brought back your guy Chan- Chandler Canizaro for a one-year deal for $2.3 million. I mean, is that money enough to make you not want to sign a guy who's really, really good? Well, it's funny that you did that because, and I'm going to go back to the Seahawks real quick, but I'm also writing, we're doing a thing, three moves, and we're going to talk about the podcast later this week, so we won't go very much into it now, but I am writing one up for the Vikings, three things they could still do this offseason to make them have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl, and one of my things is also kicker. Um, I'm doing the same thing for the Falcons, by the way, that I'm about to write today. Well, I mean, a kicker, a kicker's a huge deal, and here's the thing is that, and back in March, I did write where free agent kickers might land and list the best ones, and even though Jason Myers was coming off a Pro Bowl season, you know, he wasn't number one on my best kickers available list, and here's his problem, and here's why the Jets let him go, and here's why it's risky that the Seahawks got him. It is because he is not good at kicking extra points. You look at, uh, he was okay with the Jets last season. I think he hit 90%, which isn't great. That's not great. He was 30 or 33 from extra points uh, with the I mean, Jets. That's actually really good. No, no, for extra points, that's not good. Huh. It's really bad. 90% is bad. Chris uh, Boswell would like a word. <laughs> the first year, uh, the extra point rule change in 2015, Myers was playing for the Jags. He hit 82% of his extra points. Um, that is not good. Let me just tell you to put this all in perspective that the top 15 kickers in the NFL last season were all 95% or above on extra points. So the top half of the NFL, you should be 95% or better. Jason Myers has never uh, gone above 90%, and he's huh. bottomed out at 82%. So he has been literally, I think, among active kickers – who have played since 2015, he has the lowest extra point percentage. And if you can't, like, faithfully send out your kicker knowing to kick an extra point and know he's going to make it, that's a huge issue. And I think that is part of the reason why the Jets let him go. That's actually a fantastic And what did the Seahawks sign him to? Uh, let me look real quick. Four years. It was a big deal, right? Four years, 15.5 with uh, $4 million signing bonus, $7 million guaranteed. See, I like that less than I like the Jets letting him walk because, I, I mean, this is just me being a Bears fan, but I don't like this idea of throwing money at a kicker because he had a good year and committing multiple years to him. Like, the Bears just did that with Cody Parkey, and they thought, oh, they, they solved Parkey. the kicking problem, and then they had to eat a bunch of money. I uh, mean, imagine what happens if Myers hits a 60-yard field goal to tie a game in Seattle and then blows it in overtime in the playoffs because he misses an extra point. Like, Total meltdown. You got to let him go after one year, and he walks away with seven million dollars. He doesn't care because he yeah. one year seven million is amazing. Uh, so it, it's risky. Giving a kicker with those kind of PAT stats is highly risky. But hey, Seahawks haven't been able to figure this thing out. They let Hoshka go a few years ago. Uh, Seattle's not an easy place to kick. The weather there is crazy. So it, it's it was a risky move to sign just, anyone, especially to that kind of contract. Just to put a cap on this kicking conversation which by the way i love that we get brinson off the podcast and then suddenly this just turns into 30 minutes of kicker talk and preach <laughs> um but here's a crazy, to bring it full circle this is my favorite podcast ever um since the bears the bears cut robbie gold three years ago oh. robbie gold had just made 96.5 percent of his field goals in that span what would you guess the bears kickers have combined to make 
Eighty percent. I was going to say under 80, 75, 76. Nice. Well, Ryan Pace is not doing a great job with the special teams. I think that's the takeaway. Yeah, and, and also if that the NFL team to wants to hire me as a kicking consultant, I'm available. Well, on the podcast, you are just basically telling CBS I'm willing to quit. No, no. I can work both jobs, yeah. and I'll also still oh, podcast. Reach, you can't cover the NFL and work for an NFL team. Uh, People at CBS that do more than one job, Sean, try try it. <laughs> I'm a NFL writer, B, Game mm. of Thrones scholar for CBS. No this. days off, Sean. No days All right. off. All right, speaking of Game of Thrones, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about Game of Thrones. So if uh, you don't want to hear the spoilers or hear Sean's stupid takes, now's the time to quit listening. Uh, but just so you know, we'll be back tomorrow. But tomorrow's episode will feature uh, CBS Sports fantasy expert Dave Richard and my guy, former Steelers cornerback uh, and CBS Sports HQ analyst Brian McFadden, BMAC, and then uh, – on, what will that be, Wednesday, I think, or Thursday? Pete Prisco and Brady Quinn will be on Thursday's show, and they'll talk some more post-draft power rankings. And then uh, the three of us will be back for the final show on Friday. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, dun da dun 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 Oh, my God, that's bad. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Oh, God. All right, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> I'm back by myself. Everyone got off the podcast. after Brinson, Brinson does the Game of Thrones song a lot better than you. Does he really? For as much as, as much crap as we like to give Brinson, that rendition of. Yeah, that was an impromptu was really last bad. minute. I think you're watching a different show. I think this explains why you thought last night's episode was terrible. All right, before you get started with your cold hot takes, John, what were your thoughts about episode, what was that, four? Episode four, season yeah. eight. I, I was uh, in the middle. I feel like I'm going to be the neutral guy here because I, I understand why Ryan didn't like it. I do not think, definitely do not think. It was as fantastic as Sean thought. I think Sean has already fired off about 40 tweets about it being the most amazing episode in Game of Thrones uh, history. No, no, no. You're it was nowhere near that. And the thing was, this whole season, it's like episode one, we were like, oh, well, they have to build this arc back. We have to, They have to tell us where everyone is and set everything up. And now, after last, last week's uh, underwhelming battle of Winterfell, I just felt like, I don't think the season's been bad. I think it's been underwhelming. However, I will say that last night's episode, Sunday's episode, episode four, definitely, you definitely, it is starting to feel more interesting. Like, I love that we had, uh, this Cersei face off with Daenerys at the end. That was just fantastic to see that. And then have Tyrion go up and, and I'm sure Sean will talk about this more, but for Tyrion to throw out uh, that Cersei is pregnant, which, you know, Euron is up there like, wait a sec, how'd your midget brother know that you are pregnant when you haven't talked to him in, like, four years of Game of Thrones time? So, uh, you know, and obviously... You think really that smart? I don't know. I mean, he's been way more smarter than I think everyone's giving him credit for this whole series, right? I I think... He should, like, the beginning of the next episode should be him discussing this with Cersei 
But the show has definitely, as much as I defend it, just glossed over certain things that it wouldn't surprise me if they just make it as Euron is just too dumb to figure it out. Um, he should figure it out. Like it was, that should have been, the, and like Cersei definitely looked concerned, right? In that scene that, and then what is she? Yeah. Yeah. What Tyrion was saying. Um, despite what Breach said, I had a lot of problems with last night's episode. Number one, they cut away from Arya and Sansa learning the truth about Jon's parentage, which seems like a pretty important conversation that I'm willing to bet they filmed, and I'm guessing the way they looked at it, they thought it probably just didn't live up to expectations, the character reactions. I did not like... There's a big plot hole in terms of the big battle at the end, which is how does Danny riding up high above, hundreds of feet in the air, not see the ships coming? So there's like, there's certain aspects of the of the episode I didn't like, but Breach is right. This, sh- this kind of, for me, felt like more like we're getting back to what the show was, did so well in the earlier seasons, which is a lot of political maneuvering, some back-channeling, potential backstabbing, a lot of good various Tyrion talks, which we haven't had in a while. Um, I thought that was really good. Uh, I thought the beginning 20 minutes of them just at the feast, minus the, the Starbucks cup, was very good. Um, and look, we got Jamie Brienne, I thought, which is something that I never thought we would actually see in that form um, actually happen, so I thought that was really good. And I enjoyed the ending, like like Breach. It seems like they did a really good job of setting the stage. And I think what they did a really good job of this episode was showing how Danny is kind of becoming more along the lines of the Mad Queen. That aspect of her is coming out because she feels so isolated and she be- is beginning to feel like an outsider. Um, and she's just watching John and all these people look at John like a hero. And no one is really looking at her that way. And I think you can fully understand her turn, especially with Masende at the end dying. Are we sure Masende's dead? <laughs> <laughs> maybe but, if the Night King comes back, maybe maybe not. Here's one of my thoughts. Why didn't Masande just grab Cersei and try to throw her off both of them off the edge of the, the top of the building there? She's right there. There's nothing to there's nothing she going was, on. She, her hands were tied behind her back, weren't they? Yeah. I mean that would have been difficult to pull off. Yeah. Do the old headbutt to the chest. But, like, if you know you're going to die, why not just go we'll try it? Is that what yeah, you're saying, Wilson? Worst case is you miss, and that's the story. You, you sort of head down, you know, pile, pile drove yourself into the ground. Uh, a couple things. I don't know what Brom was doing. I know he was sent there three episodes ago, but why would he suddenly hate um, Tyrion and, and uh, Jamie when he's, you know, he actually taught Jamie how to fight again after he lost his hand? That didn't make any sense to me. There was no sort of motivation. Because you know that Jamie and or Tyrion would hook him up. So that was weird. Has is it just me or has everyone gotten incredibly stupider? As I think everyone's always been, or John and Danny have always been kind of stupid. Okay. And if anything, I think this is like very on brand that they would manage to mess this up. But I will say this to your point: my biggest problem. We've talked about this on pre- previous podcasts. My biggest problem with the show in the recent seasons is that they seem to be working backwards. So what they clearly wanted to happen at the beginning of the season was they wanted Danny's army to be weakened to set up a fair fight in episode five, so that we go into it thinking Cersei could legitimately win, which means they're thinking we got to eliminate almost all the Dothraki, so let's have them charge into battle, even though that didn't make much sense. Let's have her lose another dragon, but they, the way they do it is so quick and it doesn't really seem fitting um, because they want to arrive at this point where, where it's an even fighting force. I get that. That's fine. I think – I know I said this a month ago, like with Breaking Bad, with the final season, you're going to find reasons to hate it. I don't hate it. It's just – I feel like the, it's gotten sloppy, and I don't even care. Like the Starbucks cup I actually think is funny. I don't care about that at all. People are – I can't believe that they would yeah. say it's okay. 
people are just like it, it's like it's a fun thing to make fun like they should be made fun of for doing that but the where you start to lose me is people being like this is emblematic of what's right. wrong with everything wrong with Game of Thrones. Like, guys, they made like if you read an incredible like book and there was like one horrible typo in it, would you suddenly be like, nah, this book's trash? Like they made a bad mistake. Did you Morgan. guys see? Um, <laughs> did you see Prisco's tweet about Starbucks? <laughs> it was no, the best, what do you say? It's the best tweet ever in the history of Twitter, and, and this is in regards to the Starbucks situation. Has anybody considered the Starbucks cup was left there for, for pro- promotional purposes? Was that a serious tweet? <laughs> He's not. He, is he joking or is joking he? Twitter? Well, I mean, the funniest part is that if you're writing a winners and losers from this game of epi- from this episode, I mean, Starbucks would be number one because a, we're all still talking about it. It's like seven billion dollars of free advertising. Be, I mean, it could be like a Seven Eleven cup for all we know, but people just assume it's Starbucks. By the way, oh, someone so- uh, answered Pete and said it's Stark Bucks. How do you like that, Sean? <laughs> um, Stark Bucks we, around the corner. I, I think. Your reaction, Ryan, when you were texting me that this is a terrible episode, I feel like you probably don't feel as strongly as that based off what you were just saying. Like, you have some quibbles, which I do too, um, but I still think it's a good episode, and you seem to like the season. Like, I think a lot of us yeah. are in agreement that the season feels rushed. Um, there's no denying that, but at this point, I'm willing to overlook some of the plot holes, um, and I'm willing to overlook some of the – just the pacing, like – Danny getting to Storm's End that quickly, the next scene, and then getting to King's Landing, the next scene. Um, I'm willing to overlook all that because they, I think they've done a lot of good stuff, especially in, look, I said this on Twitter. I'm going to defend the show and overlook a lot of its shortcomings when the best written character this season has been my favorite character. So yeah. it's just easier for me to forgive them for their other uh, mishaps. And here's two issues, and you guys both kind of touched on one of them, because I was saying that I didn't love it, just, just a couple things that I thought, I didn't love. And one of them, Sean, you mentioned with the dragon. Daenerys, you have literally the only flying capabilities in all of the Seven Kingdoms. You have the best vantage point for a war. You should have a scout. You are the scout or who's going out and have, checking stuff out. Have Bran warg into some ravens ahead of time and scout out Storm's End and be like, oh, yeah, you're on the clear. Like, go for it. So there's no excuse for not seeing Euron's army. She deserved to lose the dragon. That's just... Uh, you need to be blasted. She should not be ruling anything. That alone means she should not be queen. Give it to Jon Snow. Uh, Wilson, you touched on this, which was Bronn showing up. Here's what I used to love about Game of Thrones was just everything so unexpected. You get all these deaths that you just did not see coming, and they had a chance to do that. I had totally forgot that Bronn was kind of headed to kill Tyrion and Jamie, and not necessarily I forgot it, just that I didn't think he would be there that quickly. So it wasn't anything that I thought was going to happen this episode. If he had shown up and just shot Jamie or just shot Tyrion, let one of them live, like my mind would have been blown. That's all anyone would have been talking about because no one would have seen that coming in this episode. Like, did you have any idea during that Jamie and Tyrion conversation that Bronn was just going to mosey in with the crossbow? And if he would have just shot Jamie in the head and look, Tyrion, I love you. You pay me double, or I'm going to shoot one through your head, and then left. You know, like, it would have been amazing, it's, and that's all we would have been talking about. But but I agree, like, it would have been great because it would have subverted expectations. At the same time, I'm, like, when they all survived the battle, when Jamie survived the battle, I thought he might die. I was fine with it because I would – I want to see a Cersei-Jamie showdown at the end. Like, that to me is more rewarding of a payoff, even if that means him having some plot armor in between them. In between that happens, because I just think that is going to be a much more rewarding experience. Um, 
a couple of things real quickly that people on Twitter who have, who have been mad about in the episode that I feel like is kind of understandable. People are mad that Jamie left Brienne and went back and is going back to Cersei. Yeah, this so stupid. So this is the way I, I guess I should just, instead of saying people on Twitter. Classic guy just ditching a girl after this taking her Jamie has only loved one woman his entire life before Brienne. He has only slept with one woman in his entire life before Brienne, and that's with Cersei. He has pushed a kid out of a window of a tower for <laughs> Cersei. He has killed his own family to get back to Cersei. And so Cersei is pregnant with his child. There is about to be a big battle that she might die in. I think it's incredibly realistic that he would want to go and be there for that, and I think he might not know why he's going. I think he might think he he thinks that he can be the one to talk Cersei out of this, but he also might get there, and I think he's going to decide that he's going to be the one to kill her. So yeah, I I, I think it's completely natural for him to be like, this big battle's happening with the only person I've really loved my entire life who is carrying my child. I'm not going to just chill in the north and not be there for that. Like I think it's completely natural that he would want to go be there for that. All right, I'll give you that. What else? And I'm and not then, entirely convinced that Cersei's pregnant. I just want to throw that in there. I, right. I want her to give birth to a dwarf from all of her drinking. I think that would be very poetic with how she treats Tyrion. Um, and then lastly, people seem to be mad that Brienne was kind of a sobbing mess at the end when Jamie left. And He's mad like, about that. Not in her, I saw some tweets about it, but this is... Yes, she was a powerful female character, Ryan, and they are now just, just but, ruining all of that. They're throwing away seven seasons of character development but, and making her a sobbing female who got dumped. That was the issue that people had on Twitter. All right. But this Does is that sum it up fairly, Sean? Yes. Um, it's just she's never been like this before, right? She's never been the emotional wreck crying ever before. But she's also never been vulnerable with another human in the show the way that she was with Jamie. And that was clearly like a big step for her that she was not comfortable taking. So imagine this closed-off emotional person bearing your soul to someone and then having them leave for his sister like like i think that would be traumatic um and i think there's a reason why it's the only time she's ever cried all right uh my 10 second recap is that bran is useless Short. Uh, john what's your 10 second recap my 10 second recap is we didn't bring up Arya and gendry Arya shooting him down i still think that Arya's is pregnant and when she finds Ooh. that out she's going to end up with gendry and they're going to end up on the iron throne take that sean I don't All right, like Sean, that you have 30 seconds to to preview. Yeah, can we five. can we make one prediction each or something for the next episode? You have 30 seconds. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to seven. You have 30 seconds. So you have to go to bed. <laughs> uh, what's your What's your preview for episode five? Then you can make your prediction. It's well, it's directed by the guy who does all the ba- battles, including episode three of the season. So we're going to see the big conflict. However, I think the biggest conflict is going to be an internal one with. Danny, and it's going to be if she fully descends into the Mad Queen, burn down King's Landing. I don't care how I take it. I'm just going to take it and be Queen of the Ashes and her turn potentially to a villain. Or if she doesn't do that and it manages to hold back her worst impulses that Tyrion and others have talked about. And the last thing is obviously what do Tyrion and Varys do? Uh, but that seems like to me a finale um, question and not a battle question. All right. What's your prediction? Or is that it? My prediction is that, once again, we don't get all these big deaths that everyone thinks are coming, and I think a lot of those deaths are coming in the finale. Jeez. All right, John. Sansa lives. Arya and Gendry live. Everyone else dies. Oh, and this next episode? No. Over the next two episodes. Uh, I was going to say, Sansa's in Winterfell, so I hope she lives. 
Yeah. Uh, my prediction is that uh, I think I'm going to predict that Jamie's going to die next episode. Just for leaving, and then I wrote, I wrote all those down. Okay, good. Just for leaving, um, Brianna Tarth. Very rude. All right, that's it for the worst Game of Thrones recap out outside of the Bill Simmons one. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I don't like that one. I like the Ringer review, but I don't like it when Bill Simmons does what we're doing here. What did Bill Simmons do? Well, he does basically what we do. A bunch of idiots okay. talking about Game of Thrones <laughs> that no one wants to listen to. The Ringer. I like that you fired the shot in for like the five people who are still listening at this point. Yeah. Well, I, I include ourselves in, in this sort of the uh, everyday man recap that you know may not appeal to many people. Anyway. So that's it for the recap. Come back tomorrow, Dave Richard and BMAC, and then the day after that, Pete Prisco, Brady Quinn, and we'll be back on Friday. See you later, nerds.